Are you passionate about making a difference through design? Join us at the Human Centered Design Network's Circle, a new private community for change makers just like you. Connect with like minded professionals, gain exclusive rights to monthly learning opportunities, and lead the change in human centered design. For more information, see thisishcd.com. Now, let's get back into that episode. and good day. My name is Jerry Scullion and I'm delighted to welcome you to another episode of Bringing Design Closer. I'm the founder of This Is HCD and I'm the CEO of ThisIsDoing.com where we provide live online design and innovation classes for people around the world. In this episode, I speak with Georgie Smallwood, CPO at Tier Mobility in Germany. They provide e-mobility solutions to cities across Europe and beyond. So you might recognize them in cities like Aachen or Berlin and Dusseldorf. There's loads of them in Germany and France and Finland and soon to be hopefully in Ireland as well. We chat about the service model that sits behind the business at Tier and go deep into the details of battery disposable sustainability and energy usage and consumption by citizens. Also, towards the end of this episode, there's a big announcement, so please stick around. It's something that myself and Georgie are really excited to announce together, so stick around to the end of the episode. Anyway, let's jump straight in. Georgie, how are things? How are you? I'm good, Jerry. I'm really good. How are you going? I'm going all right. I'm trying to remember when we actually caught up last, because this is your second time on the podcast. It was in Stockholm, and it wasn't last year, so it was 2020. It must be 2019. I think it was. I think I was only just started at N26 and we met yeah. randomly at a conference in Stockholm and, and shuffled off into the corner during a boring talk. I don't think it was random at all. I think you came looking for me because Adrian Tan had mentioned that I was sitting there and you'll just, I think she said, you'll know Jerry when you see him. <laughs> Just look for the glasses. <laughs> that, that's exactly what happened, actually. But the only thing I remember besides our incredible podcast of that conference is you took a, a animation video of me dancing oh, in the corridor. This is true. And this really the true. Cement, that cemented our friendship. Yeah, a link in the show notes, folks. Georgie at that conference was doing Kung Fu kicks to AI generated Star Wars figures that were at the conference. Because by the end of the day, it got a bit boring and we were jumping around kind of because I had non-alcoholic beer. So what yeah. do you do? Get out your phone sugar. out, <laughs> do, do gifts. Yeah, we're eating loads of sweets and stuff. Well, lollies to all the Australians out there. Georgie, you're now a tier mobility. What do they do? They are a transport company in the end. Most people would know us as a scooter company, but I actually never, never really thought about them that way. They're about really how people are going to move around cities in the future and making sure that that's for the good of the environment, but also for the good of the city and what the future of cities looks like. I still haven't been on one of the scooters. I still haven't been on an electric scooter. I I look at it. Yeah, they are. I nearly bought one. And then my wife was like, you're going to look really stupid going around one of these. And then I, I had a few conversations with a local police force in Ireland and because that, someone had told me that they were illegal at that stage. I think, still think they are actually. And Yeah, I think it's a new regulation coming up soon in Dublin. Yeah. 
And I said to the police officer, he was in a coffee shop. I says, can I prick your ears for a few minutes? I want to ask you a question about e-scooters. And he threw his eyes up to heaven. He goes, yeah. And I said, um, if I buy one of them and I'm on the road, will you pull me over if you saw me? And he's like, to be honest, I wouldn't, but some of the others might. And I was like, okay, that was enough to deter me at that, that point. And then the whole kind of gray area with insurance and stuff. But is there any sign of fear being in Dublin or in Ireland? Is that something that you're working towards? Yeah, so we have some really good relationships with the Dublin City Council and also a couple of institutes that look after accessibility and making sure that transport is accessible and friendly to everyone. Hmm. So we've got some stuff there and I think that there'll be some good news in the next coming months. Okay. So maybe maybe that uh, position will change. Well, that could be cool. Maybe I will get on a scooter. <laughs> so- you should. You should. I, I, it's a funny thing, right? It's like any product when it's a new thing, it's new to market and you're trying to change mm. the way that that people do something that they do regularly there's always an adoption curve and there's always challenges and there's always regulation that needs to change. It's really funny. I always, I, I always think back to when I started in digital advertising and we were trying to sell these digital campaigns to people and we're saying, but we can measure every single person that sees your ad. Like the, the return on investment here is like, is ridiculous. you've never seen anything like it. And they were like, yeah, but I'm just going to pay 50 grand to put this ad in a magazine, which I don't know how many they they have readership on. I don't know how many people skip over that page, but I'm good with the 50,000. But I'll give you 1,500 and you can prove to me what the click-through rate is, the readership, the impressions, the everything. Yeah. Like it's it's a bit at the beginning of those, of those industries. You need to really take people on a journey and, and scooters are part of that, but it's really about shared micromobility mm. and how people are going to move around cities. Taking people on a journey is something that lots of the, the change makers that listen to the podcast is, are very much aware of. If they want to try and transform their organizations or transform how they work, you know, taking people on that kind of journey takes more time usually and it takes more kind of consideration and empathy to be people that you're trying to work with. So how does that work with, say, councils or local governments that some, in some instances may be kind of baked in kind of, how shall I say this, slow kind of responsiveness to, to change? Because, you know, your, your organization is obviously very fast. It's, it's quick to react to industries, understanding the consumer, so forth. How do those two worlds work together? So I think, I mean, this is a space that a lot of people listening to this podcast mm. uh, will be in, right? And, and tech companies operate at speed. That's what yeah. we do, right? We, we're about nimble, fail fast, be agile, move as quick as you can. But consumers don't necessarily move at that speed and mm. city infrastructure and regulation definitely doesn't move at that speed. Now, when you're thinking about consumers or you're thinking about working in a regulated environment, you need to take that into consideration because, and you need to do what we all do as product managers, which is understand the stakeholder or the, or the consumer that you're working with. So if you're working with cities and councils, you need to really understand where they're coming from. So as a mobility company, we could go in and we could say, hey, you should have these regulations for scooters or for e-bikes or for mm. mopeds. 
a council doesn't just think about micromobility on the street. They also think about getting traffic to the high street store. They think about peak hours and traffic jams and they think about the elderly in the city and how they're going to respond. They have all of these other things that they're thinking about on a daily basis. So you can't just come in and say, hey, we've got this solution, which is this scooter and this e bike, Mm -hmm. you should put them on your street because they need to think about, okay, where are the bike lanes going to go? And how are the bike lanes going to connect from one part of the city to another? It's not just, oh, cut Mm. off some of your street and we'll put shared micromobility in. So you really need to fully, fully get into an understanding of where the city councils are, what their risk position is, because different cities have different kind of appetite change if Mm. you look at Paris and their 2050 vision I mean this stuff is amazing right the 15 minute city they are streaming ahead right a a good chunk of Paris is now blocked off to cars yeah no other city in the world is making these kind of advancements and then you have other cities who are like okay but how can we control this change right because we've got so many things that we need to do and it's not a good or a bad thing. It's just you need to understand your customer yeah. and their appetite for adoption. Understanding your customer is interesting because in this instance, your customer is the council or is the local government, but the person using the service is completely different. I guess where, where I'm going with this is as, as an organization, you may in some instances understand the consumer better than the local councils or the governments. And so that might be a, a difficult conversation to have with those customers in terms of the councils, the governments. How is that received? And is that something that you have to be sensitive around saying, well, you actually might know the, the people that they're working for a little bit better than they, they do? Is that fair to say? In some cases, mm. sure. And in that instance, we see ourselves as a partner to the city. Mm. where we can provide insight that they potentially don't have the specialization to do. Mm. But to be considered that, you also need to build a partnership with the city. So actually one of the things that I did when I when I joined Tier Mobility was I started the structure in the product organization of being city and rider. So there are parts mm. of the organization that focus on the customer, which I consider the city, because as as cities become more progressive, we look, we see tenders and contracts and things coming into place so that they can start to have more structured regulation around micromobility. But you also have markets like in Germany where you are free floating and, and there's no tender contract. So that's all about the rider and getting as much ridership as possible. Mm. Now, one of the challenges, as anyone who works in a double-sided marketplace knows, is that you need both customers and consumers to be happy with the situation for it to work. And often solutions are different and can be sometimes counterintuitive to each other. So from a city perspective or a customer perspective, you might want quite tightly controlled parking functionality, but a consumer just wants to leave the vehicle wherever they want. Mm. So how do you balance the, the consumer desire and the consumer adoption with the constraints of regulation? But I, that's a cool challenge to have. Yeah. And it's also one of the things that I had in finance. As yeah. Well. So understanding the people that you're designing for is something that most tech companies realize as an important you know, factor to be considered. 
you know, understanding the problem, understanding like, you know, the, you know, how it's going to be adopted and the behaviors that you're trying to change. How have you seen that problem shift across the cities? Or is it fair to say that people are generally, by the rule of thumb, pretty similar across the cities, especially in Europe where you're primarily working at the moment? Yeah, I think that consumers are not too dissimilar, especially as if you are are trying to grow at scale, we have a very specific target user Mm. in mind, right? And we have have personas and understanding the depths of that target user. I truly believe that mass growth requires focus. You can't build a product for everyone. It's not possible. What you'll Mm. do is you'll have a product that no one really identifies with. Whereas if you build a product for a specific group of people and you you really delight that target user, then you actually build advocacy in that target user and that then flows out into the mass market and you can really start to spread the usage of your product that way. Yeah. Well, that this is doing, and Mark actually taught me this, this phrase is designed for the average test for the extremes. So in, in that instance, would your... Who is your consumer? Who's the person that's going to be using this service? So it, it's, it's an urban young professional, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's, when you're looking at a target user, you have to look at it from, from two aspects. One is who is the user that you can delight and who is the user that you want to delight, mm-hmm. right? Because one of the things that is complex about working in mobility is that you are everything. You are a hardware company and a software company. You are a consumer-led company and an operational logistics company. You have all of these dichotomies. I think that's the word. Yeah. You're a service provider. <laughs> Where they, yeah. And so you need to take into account all, all of those things. Now, one of the things about when, you build, when you're building hardware and software at the same time is these two things have very different yeah. Operating ways of working, right? With with hardware, we need the brief in for next week so that we can have that vehicle on the ground in mm. maybe 20 months. Yeah. And so when you think about that, at the moment we have mopeds, we have e-bikes, and we have scooters. So the reality is that we are a vehicle for an independent person. Okay. So someone who is is traveling by themselves probably. Some you can put a you can have two people on a moped, but it's not a large percentage of our fleet, so yeah. I wouldn't consider it a target user. Can I just hang on one thing that you said there a second ago like as young professionals. Why is professional in there? Why why, why does it have to be a young professional? Why can't it just be Actually, I, I want to hear I want to hear what you have to say about that. Because the commute is one of the largest use cases for car travel under five kilometers in urban environments. Mm, okay. So the the person that, when you say young professional, it tends to be people who are working in offices or working in the city center and you're looking to make those short bursts of commutes. Right, that, that that's interesting. Yeah. So when, when you're looking at that consumer, who in that sense is your competitor? Is it local transport? Is it the buses and the trains? Or is it like an, like an Uber? Like I'm keen to understand what your, your ecosystem looks like. You have to take into account also why we're doing this, mm. right? We are not here to just make millions and millions of dollars, although that would be fantastic. We really are here to 
eliminate cars from inner city environments. Right. So we don't want to compete. There will be some competition with, there will be some overlap yeah. in public transport systems where people may choose because they don't want to be necessarily in a, in a closed cabin because of COVID Absolutely. or because of some other reason. But our competition is car ownership. Yeah. So in that instance, it's you're working alongside the likes of GoCar and, oh, I can't remember the name of the Toyota one that they do. I mean, so sh- shared shared mobility is a good thing, right? Yeah. So if if we, I just would prefer it to be shared electric mobility. Yeah. And so there's, there's two there's two aspects to this. There's one which is like we need to reduce the CO2 emissions that city transport is creating because it's unnecessary, right? There are elements of the world where CO2 emissions perhaps are more required for the way that we live our life, but we shouldn't be creating them in situations where we don't need to create them. Mm. So that's the first thing. We want to replace car trips. And the second thing is replace those owned car trips, so owning the car, having the need to own the car. But at the same time, yes, it would be great if there was no car ownership and there was shared car usage. Mm. But then wouldn't it be even better if those cars weren't on our streets? Like one of the things when you when you get into this space and you start, you know, I walk my daughter to school every day and sometimes we can't hold hands because the, the footpath is so narrow and mm. I look across and there's just constantly two cars, like a car on either side of the street, which they never move. Mm. We, live, we live in inner city. Like why are they there? And and so really taking the city back to be more livable. Yeah. So that's the other part. And that's why micromobility is the space that we play in. Yeah. Shane Waring, who has been on the podcast, is from Dublin City Beta. And I've done some work with Shane over the last couple of years since returning to Ireland. He's all about his his vision and his passion about doing Dublin City Beta and the future of Dublin is around making the city more friendly for children. And that's one of his passions to to really kind of like invigorate the local council to, to align to those kind of objectives. It's brilliant to, to hear that those sentiments are being carried through in the, the mission for, for tier mobility. I was going to ask you something there a second around the no emissions thing. And when I had a conversation a number of years ago with John Thackeray, who's a phenomenal thinker and a, and a great friend of the podcast, I said to him about oh, like e-cars and he says, okay, well, you need to think about the entire system, where that energy comes from. So, you know, how is the energy being produced? How is it being harvested? And I guess how far can you go with tier mobility as regards you can get the infrastructure set up at the local council level or the local government level. And they said, okay, now we've got e-scooters, but if everyone was to use an e-scooter and they might've been walking beforehand, suddenly we're now looking at producing more energy than we were using before. What are your thoughts on that? And is it something that tier is aware of? And if so, are they working with the councils to try and, I guess, increase the adoption for more renewable energies? I don't know the answer on whether we're working with councils to increase renewable energies. Yeah. What I do know is that we we don't want people to replace walking. Mm. So one of the reasons, you know, we, we have a, a pricing strategy, which is that we aren't going to, we believe in profitable organizations as well, right? So as as a company, one of the reasons that SoftBank invested in the last round was because we we have proven profitability 
as mm. an organization, which was a big, a massive reason why I joined because, you know, in this market at the moment, like there is a lot of organizations which are purely venture backed and they they operate on venture money until they run out of venture money and then they get more venture money. And we're, I mean, I get my groceries delivered thanks to venture money, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. But so that's the first thing. And with that, we have a very, very strong case around the lithium batteries and recycling those batteries. Mm. And we work with the lithium recycling company to make sure that a very, very large percentage, and I won't say the number, I'm pretty sure it's over 70%, but don't quote me on that. That's okay. Of that is recycled. Everyone's quoting you now. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. Georgie Smallwood says 70%. Yeah. But it, it, it's a it's a big thing for us, and we are accredited mm. as being a carbon neutral organisation because of the efforts that we take to do that. And when what I said about pricing was also one of the reasons why we don't want to go to like a one cent per minute model is if you're going on a two minute scooter ride, you can walk. Yeah. <laughs> like and and just because it's 2 cents you jump on the scooter instead of walking well like that's not what we're about we're about sustainable urban travel yeah so in that instance you could probably penalize by the kind of financial structures to to change the behaviors to discourage that kind of behavior is that something that here are working towards to, re- to reduce that kind of behavior people just jumping on a bike to go 30 seconds up the road Absolutely. Is that how it works? I mean, we do have a we have a number of different ways that we encourage different types of travel, right? So if, we, we assume that mm. if you went on something for under a minute, that that wasn't a ride, right? And so we don't charge. Because okay. Like that doesn't help us. The ride doesn't help us. Yeah. Okay. Maybe you get you know the the flag fee of a euro and and then the nineteen cents, which is the yeah kind of the the top fee that you would get charged for that ride, but it doesn't contribute to removing kilometers from car generated trips yeah so how, how do you so measure that if you do so there's a couple of different ways that you can look at at that so we do a lot of surveying yeah because it's very very difficult especially with personal car usage yeah. to see how much time people are spending in their car and if they would have but we ask a lot of survey questions around would you have taken a car for this trip or how did you take this trip before and we have a really good understanding about kind of percentage of trips that would have been taken by a car versus would be taken by walking or by another vehicle. So is that something you have to do at a local level? So if you're working, say, with Dublin or Paris, so you can show over time that behavior is changing and building the relationship. Because you mentioned yeah. partnership there. Partnership is a really strong word. It's a fantastic word. And I, I use it in my own business. But you know, in terms of building that relationship and building the trust to show that what you're actually selling in is working, is that something that you have to do at a local level perpetually? Yes. It's the short answer. Yes. <laughs> yeah. it's a very, it's a, I mean, it, it, it's one of those things like you, having worked in, in global tech companies for a long time now, I've, I don't know if I keep picking ones that have yeah. the same, the same challenges or we all have the same challenges and, and local versus global is, is one of them, right? But yeah. you can't you can't change city transport on a global level mm. if you're not doing it locally first. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit more around what the what the experience looks like for somebody who uses tier mobility? So 
Because you mentioned there, they've got scooters, they've got e-bikes, and they've got mopeds. Mopeds. So yeah, say somebody sees this in Paris or you know Germany and Berlin or wherever it is, and they see one of them zooming by. Walk me through what the experience looks like in terms of getting involved. So we are an app-based organization. It's pretty simple, actually. So you you sign up like any onboarding flow, and add a payment method to the to your wallet, and then you have a. It sounds old school, but a QR code, right? Yeah. So there's a there's a scan there's a QR code scan on the top of the scooter. You can either pick a scooter in the app to start, or you can just walk up to the scooter that you want and you can scan it mm. and the scooter will start. And then you put your phone in the, the phone carrier, which is also a phone charger, because can you imagine if you started a scooter and then your phone died? <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah. So I think we're the only the only company that have a phone charger in the, in the holster. scooter. Which I, yeah, which actually used, I rode a scooter for a very short amount of time, five minutes the other day, because... <laughs> My phone was running low and I needed it to, to be charge. charged. So I was like, yeah, that, that sounds good. There you go. So you, you jump on and then you, at the first instance, you if you've never ridden a scooter before, you probably want to run through the onboarding screens mm. so it can see you, it's a push start. So you need to, you need to really push kind off. Of manually scoot for a couple of steps. Yeah. Uh, and then there's an accelerator on the handle. Okay. We have limits, speed limits. Most speed limits are around about 20 kilometers an hour. I think it's about the same in England as well. Yeah. And yeah, it, it's a really, once you get going, it's really a very, very mm. simple process. On a lot of our scooters, we have a helmet box. And so there's a little helmet icon in the bottom left-hand corner of the screen, which you just click and then it will unlock the helmet box. Oh, so you, you give them a helmet? Yeah. Yeah, give them, so. Because. One of the things about helmet usage, I mean, I, I'm Australian and helmets were non-negotiable growing up, right? Like I remember we we had summer holidays on the peninsula in Australia, in Melbourne. Yeah. And I would, every summer, I would get at least one fine from the police because I wouldn't wear a helmet. I was 14, yeah. right? So you got fined 25 bucks if you didn't wear a helmet. And that is ingrained in me that mm. on bikes, when you ride a bike or any kind of you know, vehicle, you, you wear a helmet. So moving to Europe and seeing everyone like hordes of bike riders on the streets without helmets on just completely blew my mind because we know that if you wear a helmet, it's safer. So, you, so then yeah. as an organization, if you want to actually change the future of mobility, it needs to be safe, right? It yeah. can't not be safe. It's a bit like saying, oh, we know seatbelts work, but we're going to build a car that doesn't have one. Yeah, it, no, absolutely. So I'm aware and I have been for a long time when I, when I use the bike just purely because of my hairstyle. If I fall off, my hairstyle gets ruined. You know, for anyone listening, I'm completely bald. It just makes sense that if you know, I know if you if you fall off your bike and you hurt your head, it's it's not good. Yeah. But one of the things that I'm interested in is, is the service model that sits around the the maintenance piece for the, the entire ecosystem. So do, do people have to go back to a dock? To, to put the, the scooter back in or is it a collection policy? Because I'd seen two systems at play. In Sydney, they tried to do the the bikes, the, the bike sharing scheme and they were 
and it was an absolute, you know, kind of, I don't want really to use the, 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 the terminology shit show, but it was as close to one of those as possible. You saw the, the bikes being put on top of bus shelters. I've got photographs of all these things. They were just being discarded everywhere. And there was, there was piles of bikes being left by the side of the road. And it was just, it didn't work. So the, the dock system yeah. in Dublin seems to work quite nicely where you have to bring it back to the base unit. Walk me through what, what it looks like in, in Tears World. So there's a couple of different models depending mm. on the market that you're in. So in some markets, we're completely free floating. So for instance, okay. in Berlin, uh, the entire market is free floating. So there are, you, can, you can leave it anywhere, right? Which obviously lays yourself open mm. to the problem with consumers you know, not caring about where they leave vehicles. And so we have all our, one of the differences about us as an organization is we are all our own operations. Mm. So we have uh, rangers who are out on the street all the time. We have ticketing systems and SLAs around vehicles that we can tell if a vehicle has been tipped over. Okay. Right? So we use IoT technology and, and different other things to see, assess the state of a vehicle at any one point in time. And we have SLAs in place with ranges to get those vehicles standing upright and in the right place again. We also have the ability to report, even if you're not riding, you can use the app to report a vehicle mm. um, if it's either been vandalized or it, it needs to be picked up or something like that. So that's a huge operation. Absolutely. As I said earlier, like, you know, we have the complexity of being a, you know, a, at scale global software organization. Mm. We're also a, hardware company which has these long form more waterfall type processes yeah at the same time we're a logistics company who we also build all the internal tools for our ranges and our operations in in every market in the world as well so it's important that all of those pieces play together because if you think about it all right and if you think about it from we can talk about being a great operationally excellent company we can talk about building the best hardware in the world we can talk about what we're going to do to enhance the app experience or mm. the software experience but in the end the only person that can actually change the way that cities operate and remove cars from urban environments is the consumer yeah we, our job is to have a product that is reliable enough for the consumer to build a habit with. And this is hard because they own a car already, mm. right? So this is a paid and done deal. So we're not talking about a two-year horizon here. We're talking about a five, 10, and 15-year horizon where when my daughter has children, she will let them play in the street because there won't be cars going around. Mm. And so- if you think about all of the different elements, in the end, the consumer has to be the person that adopts the product and uses it. And that includes having respect for it and normalizing this micromobility functionality because it's, it's like any pioneer product. People don't necessarily know what to do with these things before they become mass market adoption. Yeah. Right. So people don't drive their cars on the footpaths. Why don't they do that? Because it's not a, it's not not the norm. It's not something that is the norm that's been created. Whereas when you're building something that hasn't been created before, you need to establish norms, mm. and that doesn't happen in six months. Yeah, 
So with the scooters at the moment, they're being ridden on bike lanes and they've been ridden on footpaths, I can see in Dublin, and on the roads. So where's their... Ideally, they're not on footpaths. (laughs) Zooming pie uh, with with kids and toe is not, not good. But where's its natural habitat now and versus the future? That's a really good question. Hmm. It's roads, right? And we're in a phase at the moment where we do need for there to be infrastructure for that to be safe, Yeah. right? So because, I mean, in in a lot of European capital cities, Berlin has amazing bike lane infrastructure and uh, mobility and pedestrian infrastructure. It's awesome. I mean, I, I take the scooter to school every day because that means that I can leave the house 15 minutes later than yeah. <laughs> if I had to walk, which is great. Yeah. But it's also because, you know, my street is not a quiet street, but it's supposed to be for local cars only. And my school is two and a half kilometers away, but it's at the other end of the street. So mm. I can take the scooter all the way to school. I can also take a scooter all the way to the office because actually I can map out using tier. We have some navigation functionality, which is being rolled out in different cities at the moment. What is the way to get to the office, which uses bike lanes? Okay. So that's important as well, right? Because until we have a change in the way that cars move around cities, and we're seeing this more and more and more, for instance, Kensington High Street has bike lanes now. Dublin is pulling a lot of infrastructure together to make sure that there is a pedestrian and micromobility infrastructure, whether that's owned bikes or, or other things. But we see cities starting to change. Now, it won't happen quickly, but we need an interim period where we make it safe for people to do that. So mm. we use technology a lot. So one of the things that we do is use technology to detect payment pavement driving and we tend to use incentive and encouragement to not do those things, right? So if we detect that someone is doing risky driving behavior, we will send them a message and let them know that we detected this. And if we see it multiple occasions, you know, we may take action. We're kicking you out of the club, lads. Account. We'll kick you out of the club. Yeah. yeah. The bouncer. And with the with the docked solutions, I agree, right? There are a lot of a lot of cities who are looking at how they control parking. Mm. I'm not pro docks because I think that that's a, a really big infrastructure project to do that we can solve with technology. So one mm. of the things that we do is we use this amazing technology called Fantasmo and use GPS. We can actually tell down to the meter, submeter, to be honest, where you're parked. So, for instance, I would much rather have uh, digital docks, which potentially are, you know, a, a square painted on the footpath or in a car park, and you need the vehicles to be mm. parked in that zone rather than creating hardware infrastructure, which we bolt to the streets and that we can't really change yeah. that over time. So. it's, it's I'm, I'm going into a deep kind of question here at the moment around the, the usage but if they're running on lithium lithium ion batteries, it must have a pretty long uh, life in terms of on a charge, because if you get lots of people repeatedly using the same uh, e-scooter, for for an example, 
is there ever a case where the battery could die or how, how does it get recharged if there's not a dock system? Are those rangers picking those yeah. scooters up and putting them on the back of a, a van and then bringing them to a dock? Walk me through what that looks like. So that's something that's really cool. And this is one of the things that doesn't scale, right? Mm. So you need to change the batteries. You do. And historically, the industry has pulled the vehicles off the street or, or used gig workers to charge those vehicles. Now, we didn't want to use gig workers, not because we, we don't want to uh, support the economy, but because we want to make sure that people are adopting this type of mobility. Okay. And so we need to make sure that it is of a high enough quality and that the vehicles are charged properly in a safe and secure environment. So we were swapping all the batteries. We were charging all the batteries ourselves, taking all the vehicles off, putting them back on. Uh, that's a big scale. operation. It doesn't scale for, <laughs> it is. It doesn't scale yeah. for two reasons. One, because it, it, operationally it's, it's, it's quite intensive. Mm. And two, they, I mean, there's work involved in, getting vehicles that then take the scooters off and put yeah. them back and you need big vans to do this, right? Mm. And so we're not removing cars from cities, we're putting a van, yeah. even if it's electric, that was back, my next back question. on the street. <laughs> exactly. So, so what we've done is we looked at the market and we said user swapping or the ability to user swap batteries is a game changer. Mm. And so all of our scooters have user swappable batteries. So initially for the first year, we, we acquired a, a company and we've developed, we've fully integrated that company into Tia. Okay. And so the first phase was get user swappable batteries or swappable on-site batteries in as many of our vehicles as possible. So our rangers could go out and they just had to take new batteries with them. They didn't have to move vehicles around. Okay. And so they could just swap the battery on-site. Whereas now in five cities now, we have what we call the tier energy network. So we have partners in milk bars and some in news agencies, some in supermarkets where we have battery pods. And actually you can earn free riding minutes by swapping the battery yourself. Okay. And that's a complete game changer for a couple of reasons. So one is that it scales the battery massively across the network. Mm. But two, it means that we can offer different pricing and different accessibility of our product, different types of socioeconomic groups without just blowing venture money, which is going to run out at some point. Mm. So we, we're very conscious of our contribution margins and making sure that if a user swaps that battery, then we don't have to pay for someone to go out and swap that battery. So we should give that back yeah. to the user because we're all about adoption. Yeah. So in the end, the more people that are riding shared micromobility, the better. I like that. And I like that a lot for the, the reason that I was going to ask is like, you know, about the, the van being driving around and their job is just kind of charging batteries and, and so forth. So I think that's really clever. And it's something that I'm excited about. But I'll be honest with you, Georgie, there's something I'm even more excited about. And it's something that we've been speaking about for a number of months, probably may, maybe even a uh, I don't know if it's a year, but it feels like a long, a long time. Anyway, Georgie is going to become a host on This Is Eight CD, folks. And Georgie's taken over from Adrian Tan, still a big friend of the podcast. Adrian's prod pod has been moved to Georgie Smallwood. And Georgie, I guess it's an opportunity for me to, to welcome you on board formally. And excited to see where you, you take product management in terms of the conversations you have on prod pod. 
So do you have anything you want to talk about as regards ProdPom? What were you going to discuss in your first couple of episodes? Yeah, I'm so excited. I can't believe I get to take over. It's slightly daunting from Adrian, but I'm going to try and do the role justice. I'm very excited to be working with the team at This Is HCD because the team is amazing and some of the people that are there, I probably just want to interview them. But yeah. one of the things that <laughs> well, I'll interview you next, Jerry. Yeah. That's always funny. Well, let's talk about um, tier mobility. <laughs> Same podcast. <laughs> one of the one of the big things that I'm excited about and I'm very passionate about and and my other job or my evening job, mm. as I like to call it, is is promoting future and current female founders. Yeah. And this has a lot to do with product management because, you know, founders start with an idea and they they develop that idea and there's discovery and there's iteration and there's creation. And we're not, as a society, getting enough diversity in that idea creation for a number of different reasons. Yeah. Right? And for the first time ever, I feel that we can create a network of women who can support other women. Hmm. And so one of the things I'm really, really passionate about is, is shining a light on some incredible females that are building great products, whether that be in software or hardware or any other industry, but really shining a light on the role models for other women so that we can actually push the number of female-founded organizations up, especially in Europe where VC funding went to 1% of VC funding in 2021 went to fully found female founded organizations, which is completely disgusting. Yeah. And uh, only 12% of it went to founding teams that had a female in it. So that means 89% of VC funding went to all male generated ideas and, and, and white male predominantly as well. Mm. And so if we can shine a light through this podcast on the different people that are developing great products, I think we will inspire a whole new generation of yeah. people to really start something and have a go. Absolutely. So w women in general, I, I think as founders, it, it's it's something that when you mentioned it to me, I was like, absolutely brilliant. If there's anything that this is ACD can do to elevate and support, you know, it's it's going to happen. So Georgie, we'll, we'll look forward to the first couple of episodes and also I'll throw a link to Auxilium in the show notes for this episode. Jordy, if anyone wants to reach out to you and ask about more questions on how they can actually maybe even do more around mobility in their cities, I guess ultimately see what it might look like and bring a tier to the to their cities as well. How might they reach out to you? How might they contact you? Give us a shout out and how, how, what's the best way to do those things? So you can catch me on LinkedIn under Georgie Smallwood, but you can also grab me on Twitter, which is Georgie underscore Smalls. Ah, Smallwood and was gone. I'd was love it? to hear from you. Georgie. Yeah, Smallwood was gone. There's too many Smallwoods. <laughs> I'm just a Smalls. I know, just Smalls. I'll throw a link to that one in, in the show notes as well. Georgie, as always, I love speaking with you and I'm excited to, to have you and this is HCD moving forward. So thank you so much for giving me your time today. You're welcome. It's always a pleasure, Jerry, and I can't wait to work with you. So there you have it. That's all for this episode of Bringing Design Closer. If you like this episode, feel free to visit thisishcd.com where you can access our back catalogue of over 100 episodes with episodes related to service design, product management, design research, and much, much more. 
If you're interested in design and innovation training, feel free to check out our business, thisisdoing.com, where you can join online classrooms and learn from the world's best design and innovation leaders. Join the This Is HCD newsletter where you'll receive updates from the network. And also, if you're interested, apply to join the Slack community on thisishcd.com. Stay safe and until next time, take care.